Sunrose Yoga. Reveal and remember your sacred nature through the practice of yoga. The Sunrose Yoga Podcast is a collection of audio recordings, videos, and writings about the practices of yoga. The mission of this podcast is to share the teachings in an accessible way and to hold space for meaningful discussion about yoga. To learn more, please visit sunroseyoga.com. The podcast is made possible by the generous donations of students. If you practice with us here, please consider making a one-time or recurring donation over at sunroseyoga.com. Thank you. Hi everybody, it's Kelly and welcome to episode 130 of Samadhi Rush. Today I have an interview, a conversation to share with you between myself and Kate Hawley. Kate is an experienced registered yoga teacher, mother, theater artist, and founder of Yoga Refuge. She became a yoga teacher in 2004 after completing teacher training at the Movement Center in Portland and has since studied with many influential teachers, including Richard Freeman, Paul Grilly, Noah Maze, Ada Lusardi, Todd Jackson, and Sarah Joy Marsh. Her class is focused on finding alignment from the inside out with the ultimate goal of self-knowledge and self-love. Her yoga is modern, accessible, and focused on the unique interaction of each individual to their own practice. Kate holds an MFA in Contemporary Performance from the Buddhist-inspired Naropa University and is currently completing a 500-hour yoga therapy training at the Daya Foundation. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited. Mm. So, Kate, can you, well, first of all, like, why do you keep practicing yoga? Like, why do you practice yoga? <laughs> um, well, partly because I have to, because it's my job, <laughs> which is a decision I made on purpose to kind mm-hmm. of lock myself into that commitment, I would say. Mm. Um, but also because um, if I, whenever I drop out of practice, which happens, you know, from time to time for weeks or even months sometimes, and whenever that happens, it just becomes very clear that my quality of life is much better when I have my practice mm-hmm. and my body feels much better, which impacts everything. My mental health is much better. So just everything is better <laughs> when I have my practice. So, um, so it just kind of becomes a obvious, like an obvious choice. I think that's really useful. Um, like every now and then to not do something, to figure out like whether I should keep doing it and like whether things are better or worse when I'm not doing it and then exactly how 
And it's, I also find it useful as a yoga teacher because <clears throat> I'll go into, when my practice has been really, really regular, and especially when I was younger, you know, I had one of those yoga bodies that I could stretch so far without even really feeling anything. And it's useful to me sometimes to remember what my students' bodies kind of feel like and how, you know, what they're coming with, <laughs> which is not that same experience mm -hmm. a lot of the time. So... Um, in some ways I find it useful to take a break from practice and then come back and be like, okay, so what does this unpracticed body feel like and what does it need? Mm -hmm. Something else that, that I find when I do that is, um, or when I change things up just a little bit, like I'll find how attached I've become to certain aspects of the practice too, which can be also like really useful just to see those things um, because they inevitably like inform our teaching and inform like what we're communicating to people mm -hmm. and embedded in that is all kinds of you know like value judgments that we made like for me you know for a while I was like had a very consistent 5 a.m. meditation practice Mm -hmm. And then that had to shift because of winter. It just, it, the, the experience just wasn't the same and just some things. And I realized like how everything I was putting into that like 5 a.m. thing and then how I was communicating about it. And it just, it's like, like you say, like all of these things can make, just make us so much better for our students. <clears throat> yeah, Definitely. So how, so that's why you practice now. How did you get started? Um, I got started, I was probably 19 or so. And um, I was actually in college going through one of the worst, like, depressions of my life um, after a breakup and a move into a new house and just feeling really isolated. And um, I'm, I'm pretty sure the reason I started to practice was because I was always looking for ways to be fit. Like, I wasn't athletic, but I wanted to be, like, skinny the way that you're supposed to be. <laughs> like, that was kind of the place I was coming from. Mm -hmm. And, but also, I went to Evergreen, which is, like, <clears throat> a very progressive kind of hippie school. And so I was surrounded by people that would be like, oh, yoga is so great. And I'd heard it a couple of times not really knowing what they meant. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh, I love yoga. Yoga is so great. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Because I didn't, had never had that relationship to like exercise. So, mm. um, and I once did it at a friend's house who, a friend, an older friend who had been a yoga teacher taught us like a little session. And I was really intrigued by the way I felt after that session. So then I started going to the Olympia Yoga Center and it's a very, um, I think of it very fondly. It's like an old school kind of hatha yoga center, really. Like, it was very affordable without promoting itself as affordable yoga. It just was. And um, it was probably the only yoga space in Olympia at the time. Or maybe there was, like, one other. <clears throat> and I studied with mostly two male teachers who taught hatha and uh, a little bit of kundalini. But I don't know that I really got the traditional exposure to kundalini. It was... There was no turbans or anything. <laughs> was like, um, and I remember it being pretty challenging, um, but that it, I had that kind of cliche experience in Shavasana of just being like, wow, I feel, for the first time, I feel mental peace. I feel mm. 
um, I feel like I'm not judging myself. I feel so many things I haven't felt before in my life. And I started going a lot, like, you know, five times a week or something. And um, really just changed my my outlook. <laughs> and um, I guess I kept doing it pretty consistently. And then eventually I moved to Portland. And every studio in Portland was like... at least twice the cost of the studio in Olympia. I couldn't afford any of the yoga studios here. So I started doing the hopping around like free trials to different studios. And I ended up at the movement center because they had a free week of yoga and they were advertising a yoga teacher training. And Mm -hmm. it was very, um, it felt like a very auspicious kind of night, the night that I went to the movement center, it was kind of a dark and stormy night. And if you've ever been there, it's like an old mansion basically. (laughs) And it's not like any yoga studio I've ever been to. Mm -hmm. So you walk in, you're like, wow, there's some energy in this property. And, um, I didn't end up like connecting with it long-term and staying long-term, but I, Mm -hmm. I felt kind of like I was in the right place at the time. And, um, and I had never thought about becoming a yoga teacher, but then I saw the sign and I was like, hmm, I could become a yoga teacher. Because I was like a theater major, and I had, and I was being a waitress. <laughs> and I was like, well, I should maybe have another backup job besides theater and waiting tables. Because, you know, those are... <laughs> well, waiting tables is somewhat reliable, but I didn't want to mm-hmm. do that forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so I talked to a friend about it that night. And I was like, I don't think I could be a yoga teacher because... You know, yoga teachers are, like, really skinny and beautiful and fit. First of all, right, that misconception. And he was like, whatever, that's ridiculous. And then it was like, well, but I'm not good enough and I can't afford it and, you know, all of the reasons. And he kind of talked me out of all my excuses. And then I ended up um, borrowing the money and doing it and paying the money back because I got work, you know. So Mm -hmm. I was really lucky. Mm. (laughs) I was one of the lucky ones who got work. Mm-hmm. What, um, what was the, the teacher training like at the, at the movement center? It was 13 months long, which now I really appreciate because hardly anyone does that length of teacher training right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that I was able to form a real relationship with my teachers. I had a mentor. I was able to go to practice there really regularly during that year. Um, and we studied, it was very, I don't know if non-denominational is the right word, but you know, within the yoga lineages, like yeah. they didn't teach anything strict. It was really like, they're sort of based in Vinny yoga, like Gary Kraftsau, um, very gentle, very safe. Everything is um, to make your body prepared for meditation. So, um, and I was like 22 or 23, so... I was young and healthy and doing, and on my own practice, I was doing like power yoga and ashtanga at Yoga Boga. And so I was probably one of the more like, I could do a lot more of the postures, the physically challenging postures than my other people that I was working with. But it was a really nice balance for me because they focused so much on breath, meditation, um, safety, mm-hmm. gentleness. And, um, and that... I don't know if it's because I did my training there or if that just is more my nature, but that's always sort of been my teaching practice, which is my personal practice changes throughout, but my teaching practice has always gravitated toward 
working with beginners and gentle hatha yoga. Mm-hmm. Mm. I practice there. And I, I, I think we talked about that, but I, that's one thing I really appreciate about that space is um, there being the space for quiet and gentle. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I appreciate about you is that depth of knowing of like the levels and layers of gentleness and restoration. Like Mm -hmm. there's so much in there. Yeah. And I've really discovered that since I've been teaching yin, which like I didn't have um, any formal training in yin. I did a tiny, like maybe a few days with Uma um, Kleppinger. But, and she had studied with, I think, Sarah Powers. Um, mm-hmm. So so I did a tiny thing with her, and then I just started teaching yin because there was kind of a need for it. There weren't that many yin teachers, and people were asking me to sub it. And so, um, and I was didn't feel... So at first I was just, like, teaching poses from the books, basically. And then there's so much time, actually. Like, you're teaching a yin class, and you've got, like, five minutes in this pose, so it gives you a lot of time to think about what is actually happening here. And... That's been an interesting, different layer that I've really appreciated. Just like being able to slow down that much has made me realize that I'm a really kind of introverted and slow processing person. And that when I teach at that pace, I am able to, I don't know, connect to the appropriate timing and cueing much more naturally than when I used to teach vinyasa. Even though I practiced vinyasa, I always felt like I was rushing myself and rushing my students and rushing the breath. And that it was really challenging to teach vinyasa at the pace I wanted to without people seeming to kind of be antsy, like we want to move fast and get an aerobic workout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I finally settled on, you know, there's some really good vinyasa teachers who have somehow magically like put the pace together in an authentic way, but I, I just can't do it for myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's something too about... Um stepping into our teaching seat and how that takes time and to reveal itself like what sort of teacher we are supposed to teach and the students we are supposed to um, bestow this knowing onto or share the knowing or you know together gather more of it and I mean, I think that like that only comes with time and doing it because it's true. Like we have our own practice and you could be practicing for, you know, 25 years. And then there's the practice of the teaching that's related to and, you know, interdependent with, but it's a separate practice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think um, the... I going to say about the yin practice um well like what I had discovered I don't know I started to think of it lately in like terms of like introversion and extroversion how like um what I can, what comes naturally to me is like the inner journey and mm-hmm. that in the yin practice or even the restorative practice there's the um 
you're like guiding people to go deeper and deeper into their layers and it's very introverted practice it's a very like quiet it's not about looking at your alignment it's not about looking at other people it's not about your shape it's really like this inner practice and inner Mm -hmm. experience which actually I think all of yoga kind of is but (laughs) that's more what I'm into even when I teach a more challenging practice it's like let's not have mirrors let's have an inner experience because that's you know what we're here to do but um yeah and then other teachers are so skilled at like a more extroverted form of teaching and they're really good at like building community or having lots of fun or having it be like a party Mm -hmm. which is awesome it's just I've never quite been able to every time I try to do that I feel like it's a little bit put on Mm -hmm. yeah so I'm sort of discovering that, like, just being comfortable with, like, there are some teachers who are really, really popular for being able to do one thing, but that's not necessarily what I gravitate toward. Absolutely. Oh, I remember what it was. I was going to say that I also feel like it's a little bit of being, um, what I love about it, the yin practice or the slow practice, is that it's really counterculture, so it's very mm-hmm. different than the way our culture is, and um, it does feel that way to me. It feels really... Like, this is a very revolutionary practice if you can teach people to not use their yoga practice as a way to reinforce their cultural conditioning, but Mm -hmm. as a way to break it down and learn new ways of being. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree with you, and I feel like it's totally radical slowing down, and it's countercultural, and it is so powerful, and... When people taste that nectar, if you can, if you can create the circumstances where people are able to come in and experience that, and they taste that, and they're like, "Oh, this is what I never knew I was missing," mm-hmm. but but it's hard. It's so hard work, and there's yeah. so there is such hard work, and it's like. I always feel like at the beginning of class, like just to acknowledge that, that like what we're about to do is totally fucking countercultural mm-hmm. and you are a badass <laughs> revolutionary for even being here. And it's hard because every message that we've ever received from our culture is going to tell you that what we're doing right now is not worth it. But it totally is. Right. But. It reminds me of um, one of the years in college, I took a year of basically an experimental filmmaking program. And when they, so we watched a lot of um, experimental film and they were like, you just, you need to relearn how you watch uh, film because you have sort of learned to watch it. Like you go to the movies and you're entertained and there's this really clear narrative and, um, and this is not going to be that experience, and so you need to learn how to <laughs> take in something more abstract or more personal or more possibly disturbing or less entertaining and understand how to view it and experience it and not just think, oh, well, that's not worth my time or that's, you know, it's just a totally different thing. <laughs> than, mm. And I almost, yeah, and that's the thing. I'm like, people are, because I come from this kind of, Uh, experimental art background and I did um, experimental theater for so long that I do see that tendency of people to want to be entertained and that they can too easily the yoga practice can become that like 
if we play too much into that mm-hmm. for capitalist reasons, like, yeah, we'll make this really entertaining for you. Um, so you never have to stop, slow down and think about why you need to constantly be entertained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about the experimental art and film and like what you created. Um, well, I mostly did after I did like the year of experimental film, but I mostly did um, theater. And I guess we sort of thought of it as experimental theater. And I did a master's degree in contemporary performance at Naropa University. So um, it was a really lovely place because there was a lot of intersection between art making and uh, contemplative practice. And they don't, it, at Naropa, it's, it's our country's only Buddhist inspired university. So they view everything as integrated and mm-hmm. I have honestly never met people until I went there that were authentically integrating contemplative practice with other fields mm-hmm. to the degree that they do it so um, it wasn't you know it wasn't like we're gonna meditate but then we're gonna go into the theater process and we're gonna be like yelling at each other and there's gonna be all of this stress to you know because it's a stressful um, environment to be in theater production and it was more, um, there was a lot of starting to see the blurring of lines between yoga and meditation and other things and the artistic practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in fact, um, a lot of my performer training that I did, I really didn't experience a difference between those trainings and my yoga practice in terms of what they were doing for me. Um, And in fact, I found some things that I feel like are missing in the yoga world that I think yoga students would benefit from having, which is part of my next, um, my next step as like a teacher and a studio owner is to think about how can I bring this other stuff to yoga people in a way that's, um, it's really terrifying to me because (laughs) It's all, I'm already working in such obscure fields, like working in contemporary performance, even inside the acting world, I try to talk to like actors and be like, this is my training method and they've never heard of it. And they're like, that's weird. (laughs) And like in the yoga world, you know, people are already so confused by the basic terminology of yoga. Like what is vinyasa? What is hatha? What is yin? What are the, you know? And so I feel like throwing all of these other Mm -hmm. obscure training methods into my mix is intimidating to me because I don't want to confuse people and I don't want to go so off into the fringe. Um, mostly because I run a yoga studio that I'm trying to make it into like a sustainable thing for myself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I recognize that, you know, you kind of at some point have to follow like what is authentic and unique to you. And this is definitely my path where I would like to go. I just am not sure Mm-hmm. How yet? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I love it. I and I feel like that like the things they just reveal themselves, you know, like you have this this feeling and like just honoring it like leads to something else. And you know, like that's the yeah. way it tends to go and yeah. We don't know how it is going to play out. And I think I'll probably start with something like a yoga teacher training program, which is, um, you know, in the theater world or like where I went to grad school, 
there's this thing we call conservatory, right? So you go to like a conservatory style program, which means you're, um, you know, you're a group of people that's together in an intimate environment, working intensively on this thing, whatever it is. And it's usually very deep and personal and, and peeling off the layers of selfness. I mean, that's what actor training is, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's so similar to yoga. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's so much about how does your body connect to this and how does your voice connect to this and how does the person who you think you are connect to this and who are you underneath all of that. And so um, I think, so my program will probably be called the Yoga Conservatory and it will be some kind of taking that experience or that environment of the conservatory training and how do you translate that into um, a group of yoga students who might be interested in in going a little bit deeper with like um, being free from like it has to be this form like maybe we could tr- we have some certain objectives like mm-hmm. about this self-discovery and expression and we will use yoga as one entry point and maybe some other things mm-hmm. as other entry points um, and see how yoga translates into um, different experiences like group ensemble work like Mm -hmm. or like moving through space or like you know yeah and also because yoga teachers ultimately do need a level of basic performer training I think because you are you're getting up in front of a group of people and you and the way that you use your voice and the way that you present things is a huge part of what you're doing so Mm -hmm. a lot of people I think get thrown off by that like they've they've got their basics down they've learned about yoga but then they get up in front of a group of people and um, some of that other stuff, the artistry of it is a little bit untrained. So, mm-hmm. mm. That sounds fascinating and totally useful, practical. Yeah, and like hopefully different. And that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, it, if a bunch of people will sign up for it. So probably my first round will be like my experiment. <laughs> like do people want this? Mm-hmm. Let's find what it is together first round and then, you know, get some feedback and see what is use, being useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but my instinct on it, because I've talked to so many people now since I've opened Yoga Refuge, I get people coming to me who want to teach at the studio. And so I'm looking at like their backgrounds and where did they do their teacher training. Um, or peop- or I had one student recently ask me, well, I'm thinking about this. 14-day yoga teacher training <laughs> program in Mexico. Oh. And she was really smart to say, hey, do you hire people who go through that type of training? And mm-hmm. I just said, no. <laughs> I was like, for me, no. Like, if you have a really, really short uh, training program, I don't have as much... Um, I don't have as much trust for your readiness to be a yoga teacher. So there has to be some other stuff on top of that before I would look at that resume and be like, yeah, that person... Is equipped mm-hmm. to to enter into this, um, and I think that so many people are basically just going to like core power because they that's the one they heard about because mm-hmm. it's like the biggest name. It's putting itself out there. It's got a ton of money. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's not because it's the one they really wanted or connected with in a deep level. Yeah, and I feel like that's a huge amount of time and money to invest in something, and and you should there should be options out there to find mm-hmm. something that resonates with you, like, yes, this is the work I want to do. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like there's a certain amount of, like, pre-education required um, that everyone has to, like, when you're just, when you're even thinking about becoming a yoga teacher, um, 
again, you have to sort of be countercultural because if you just do like a Google search, mm-hmm. you know, which is, I mean, I feel like when I became a teacher, the internet was still pretty new. And I mean, it wasn't actually, that's not true. The internet was not <laughs> that new. We were probably late to the game. I know, I know. <laughs> I didn't give an email address to like 2002. What am something? I even saying? But still, like, yes, I did a Google search, but there, but there was so much, like, the inquiry had to go deeper than that because what shows up on the first page, like, who knows? And, <laughs> and it's true, things have changed so much. So, like, in 2003 or whenever it was that I decided to sign up at the Movement Center, mm-hmm. at that time in my life, it would not have occurred to me to do an internet search for mm-hmm. the teacher training program. I literally saw a flyer, and I was mm-hmm. like, this flyer has presented a whole opportunity that had never occurred to me, mm-hmm. and it didn't occur to me then to, pers- to be like, I should compare it to other programs. Mm-hmm. I because it was the first time I'd ever been I mean that's I guess how new I was to yoga I was only like two or three years in so I was like oh this is the first time I've encountered this offering um and you know later on like as I got to know Portland more and got to know the studios and the teachers I had some like oh I I would have loved to go to that program or that one I wish I had known more about what was out there but Ultimately, it's all great because, like, right now I'm doing mm-hmm. the training with Sarah J. Marsh. Um, I'm getting my 500 hour with her, with her yoga therapy training, and hers was one of the programs that I later on had been like, oh, I wish I had gotten the chance to study more with her, and I'm doing it now. So, <laughs> and in fact, I think it's better now than it could have been 10 years ago because she has gone through so much change in what she's teaching and what which where she's coming from. So. Mm-hmm. I feel really lucky to be doing it now and not before. And Everything like, sorts itself out. It I really mean, does. And like Todd, Todd Jackson was the other one mm-hmm. who I was like, oh, I wish I had signed up for his. Like it was like a three to five year yoga teacher training, and yes. I was like, well, that's not something you go back and do after you've already done a thirteen month yoga teacher right. training. Mm-hmm. But I got to take his yoga sequencing class this year, mm-hmm. and I feel like you know, there's always those opportunities to mm-hmm. do continued education. Absolutely. What so? What's the program that you're in with Sarah Joy Marsh? Um, it's a it's a 500 hour yoga therapy training, and um, it's two years, kind of over little modules, little chunky modules, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, and it's yoga therapy. So we're we're learning about kind of a broad spectrum of like how to work privately with people who may need more therapeutic um, yoga thing you know they might have something like MS or Parkinson's or they might be in a wheelchair or there might be so many different reasons why um, it makes sense to work in a therapeutic way with that person like really addressing their unique body mm-hmm. and um, we're looking at she teaches like a group adaptive yoga class, which is really impressive. Um, and it's mostly chair yoga, but it's mm-hmm. that class is really interesting. We get to observe it and assist with it when we're there. And, and then we also observe and assist a little bit with her, with her more mainstream classes, which are always really, really informative. Um, and we're learning a lot of stuff that comes from her cause she had a car accident and a hip replacement in the last that's why I say she's gone through so much stuff because 
after she had her, she actually, I think, had two surgeries on her hip replacement because the first one didn't go correctly. Mm-hmm. And so she went through a really big chunk of time where she was dealing a lot with the medical world and with surgeons and with physical therapists. And she did, she's just like, she is such a smart person. Like, and I don't know, she just kind of got into that world of like learning where they're coming from and then collaborating really directly with them. And now she's, I think she's really the first person I've met who can clearly, I really teach why is yoga therapy different than physical therapy for one? Because that's a question that comes up. Like, if you have a physical therapist who can show you how to use the TheraBand and the yoga ball, which we are using those things, then what? Why do I need a yoga therapist? Mm-hmm. But she, she so much brings the tools of mindfulness and breath as like a base for everything you're doing, and that's something she's teaching the physical therapy world about. I don't know. It's just a really interesting yeah. collaboration with the more of like the the med- modern medicine world that is really intriguing to me and part of why I wanted to take the program um, because it seems like so many people turn to that world for their answers to how they're going to heal themselves, whether it's a mental issue or a physical issue. And if we're not at the table and a really big part of that conversation, if we're just being treated as like a fringe kind of woo-woo treatment, then people are missing out on a huge opportunity for healing um like absolutely you know like everybody in my family pretty much has been on or is on antidepressants and I've never um I've never had to do any type of that type of treatment for depression even though it runs in my family I've never had to like my mom has gone through every medical intervention she did electric shock treatments when I was like 14 she's done everything you know mm-hmm. and the way what I've learned from yoga and I and I really don't I like try to be cautious and say it's not that I can ever say like yoga can make you know keep you from having to take antidepressants or yoga can keep you from mm-hmm. that because I don't know what other people's experience is but I just know mm-hmm. for myself that I know what it feels like to be in those spaces and I know that I am completely transformed by my yoga practice. And not just like because I practiced this morning, but actually I'm a completely different person today than I was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. I have way less um, fear about the world. And like, I don't, <laughs> if a problem comes my way, I do not absorb it in the same way that I did then, where it could be like, it could ruin me, you know? Now it's just like nothing can ruin me because I have this foundation that yoga gave me. Mm-hmm. And I just think if everyone could have that foundation, then whatever happens, happens. You may have to have a hip replacement still. You may have to be bedridden for a year. You can't prevent from getting cancer necessarily. Things are going to happen to you, but that foundation is going to be the thing that that gets you through it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You get to that point where you stop confusing the circumstance for you Mm-hmm. And that is life changing, right? And that could be world changing. <laughs> to just not be afraid of life is basically what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. That's the difference. Yeah. Mm. How wonderful. So do you see, so you own a yoga studio, Yoga Refuge. 
do you see what you're doing? How do you, how are you going to integrate or how are you integrating since it's already happening? What you're doing with, with the teacher, the advanced teacher training and your yoga studio. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not totally sure yet. I, I knew that right before I started yoga refuge, I had hit a wall as a yoga teacher and it was a wall on a lot of levels. It was like a personal growth level. Like I knew that I needed some deeper continued education as a yoga teacher uh, if I was going to keep doing it. Like I was sort of had been doing it almost as my day job while I was trying to be a professional theater artist for so long. And I just kind of was like, I need to shift my focus to like, I'm a professional yoga teacher and that's a whole, um, and there's, I don't know, I, in order to feel fulfilled by my work, I need to go a lot deeper with it. And so mm-hmm. um, that was part of why I started the yoga studio was envisioning long-term like financial sustainability because I was teaching at five different places, you know, probably 10 to 15 classes a week um, when I needed to be full-time. And I was doing that for years and years. And every time I did it, I would burn out and I would not want to teach yoga anymore. And um, So I thought maybe if I start my own studio, that's one avenue toward like not having to teach a million classes at a million places. I can just be here and do this thing. And um, then, and it's been so informative to me as a teacher to try to figure out, oh, okay, I did, I did that. And now I'm here. And I didn't originally think I would be like the center piece of the studio. That wasn't my plan. But it's sort of inevitable that who I am as a teacher and what I'm thinking about and learning about is a huge influence on what happens at the studio. Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and like I sort of figured that out pretty quickly. And I was like, okay, well, then I need to up my game. And I need to go do some study with the people who I really respect. And, um, and I'm still figuring out how that... Because I think what it does is it changes the way I'm teaching a little bit. Um, or maybe a lot. And... I've had more opportunities to teach privates since I opened the studio because I have a, I'm a little bit more visible. So people are reaching out to the studio and I'm the person they're reaching out to. And so mm-hmm. I've been able to teach more privates since we opened than I did before that, which has given me a great opportunity to practice some of the stuff I'm learning with Sarah Joy, which has been awesome. Um, and then uh, like Fawn Williams teaches at the studio and she's also in the program. She's actually in the second year of the program. So she's about a year ahead of me. Um, and her classes have been growing there a lot. And I think people are really responding to and appreciating what she's bringing that she's learning from that program. Um, and so I can envision it you know, and I definitely, if people from that program wanted to teach, I would be like, yes, come teach at my studio Mm -hmm. because I know the training you've been through and we can have a shared language. So, Mm -hmm. um, I think it will end up being influential in that way as well. Um, yeah, (laughs) you know, and it's, and then, then there's this other thing, um, which is, yeah, this thing, I don't even know what to call it yet, this yoga conservatory stuff that um, that is so nobody else is doing it or has ever done mm-hmm. it, that it's that's why it's terrifying to me, because I'm like, I have no model for how to do this, I don't know if it fits with what these students want, and I have to show a lot of leadership if I want this to happen, I have to really just be like, this is the vision, this is what we're doing and stick with it even if people think it's really weird and don't get it for like a year and just (laughs) keep offering it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that's a little scary to me because all of my background with theater comes from working really intimately with the group because I always had my theater company and my ensemble. And it's this is the first time in my life I'm really stepping out as an individual and being an individual leader and having to make all the choices by myself. And so, um, yeah, and so there's kind of... Um, I'm still navigating my way through like pulling from my influences and right now I'm really hands-off with my teachers like I really want them to be who they are and bring what they're bringing and let it be just a diverse offering so the studio is not like this is I mean Sarah Joy's studio is very different than that her studio is everyone there has trained with her Mm -hmm. if you teach there that means you teach influenced by her Mm -hmm. and sometimes with the same themes or the same poses that she has taught you know Mm -hmm. um which is one way of doing it and she's a really strong leader in that way like she's not afraid to do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm a little bit more of a I'm a real like um anarchist type so (laughs) I'm like I don't like to follow and I don't like to lead Mm. I just like to (laughs) have my relationship with myself that is guiding me and I mm-hmm. hopefully facilitate other people to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I feel like what I've noticed among students is that people are looking for healing places and they're, you know, they're kind of like feeling around for where those are and because it's new for everyone because like this idea of healing and being in healing places is like we've been talking so much about this but like is countercultural that for a while we have to be like oh okay I feel like yoga is something And then we'll go to some classes, and some of them are very athletic and um, sort of outward-focused in some senses, and we'll feel like, okay. And and then we'll we'll meander to certain places. Um, But then on some level, like, people are looking for that, whether they know what to call it or not, Mm -hmm. and that what you have there in your in your studio and this is this refuge is this like space for people to find that Mm -hmm. and that like no effort is wasted there like anything you can offer is Mm. like nectar for people like it's important and like each you know with everything that you assimilate in your own practice like that's something for someone who needs it right now. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's lovely. Thank you for reminding mm, it, me of that. It's, like it's a it, that's a powerful spot up there on yeah southeast it, it, stars. It <laughs> it's a beautiful, amazing spot, and um, and I think you're right. Like one of the things I ha- I have to learn over and over again is that my students don't know what they came here to learn. They they came here for me to teach it to them, mm-hmm. and I sometimes fall into the trap of thinking they're expecting something, and sometimes they are expecting something, mm-hmm. depending on you know. I've definitely had students who 
you know, we had a student walk out of a yin class because she was cold and she had only ever been to hot yin. And she was like, I thought it was going to be hot because that's all she'd ever known. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, there was a clash there of her expecting one thing and getting another and then feeling frustrated and leaving that there was not anybody's fault. It was just like, okay, that happened. Yeah. Um, or like, I remember the, one of the first yin classes that I ever subbed, I had a student who maybe the normal teacher just like hardly talked at all or something. And so the student, every time I would open my mouth to speak, she would cover her ears in like blatant irritation through the whole class. So that I got to feeling very like self-conscious about saying anything because she was so, I mean, she was obviously going through like an inner experience of like being very angry or having a lot of irritability in her that day. Mm -hmm. And I know it wasn't about me, but at the same time, it's really distracting when you have, um, you know, you can pick up on those cues of like this, my students are expecting something today and Mm -hmm. of this nature. Um, and I think this is what I love about having my studio is that like over time, it's just a clean slate. So like I walked in the door and we're just finding each other. And this first year has been about me learning what my studio is and who who I am if I'm if knowing if there's no nobody else putting structure on me like what do I choose to teach and do Mm -hmm. and then um what students are gravitating toward that and what are they appreciating about it and I'm just getting to to learn from this I don't know it's like a it's just really nice to have that freedom that I don't feel like I had before as a, a freelance teacher that would be like walking into so many different environments that I had no control over and working with the students that were there and doing, you know, doing my best and hoping we would get to work together enough times to build a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. And so it's kind of, I'm trying to remember what thread <laughs> that came from, but just that, um, I'm really discovering some new things with the freedom of having the studio. And yeah. And part of that is like, I have the freedom to bring, a new teaching and I and now I have to have the confidence to just offer it and be like this will be helpful to somebody today and mm-hmm. and I have to remember that they didn't know this before or um, I recently was talking to a yoga teacher friend who is very very good yoga teacher and she studied she did her training with Todd Jackson and mm-hmm. she's got the very um, intelligent foundations of anatomy and yoga and looking at bodies but she doesn't have the um, background the artistic background or the like coming from a theater background it's just a given that you've been through a million circumstances of like learning how to release physically and vocally and like touch other people and just have you know this is just part of the world mm-hmm. and she hadn't experienced that and so she described to me one of her life-shifting experiences of being in a yoga class and a teacher coming over and lifting her legs and kind of just lightly swinging them for like 10 minutes to get mm. her to this point of understanding how to release in her body. And that she said something shifted for her from that experience. It was the first time she'd ever had an experience like that. And um, yeah, and I just, you know, it's like hard to remind myself over and over again, oh, people haven't had the same experiences as me. And the things that come really naturally to me or easily to me are not necessarily going to be the same for them. So it's okay to just start 
from square one every time I come into class and be like, you, I'm going to assume you guys don't know any of the stuff <laughs> that yeah. I have to offer you yet or that you have no expectations yet and mm-hmm. just offer what I can offer today. And if it's the 100,000th time you're hearing it, it's still useful to you. Mm-hmm. And there's something to, like lately I've been um, thinking a lot about how, like especially if it's the, you know, a thousandth time that you do something like oh the work is being open to the possibility of you know like divine play like for for divine play like I may have done this a thousand times before but this is the first time I'm doing it this time in this particular body today in this breath and so no I've never done it before but that's something right. that we have to be reminded of. Yeah. Because otherwise, like, you know, the the function of our brain that is like rooted in routine is like, all right, heels forward, heels back, push in uh-huh. one knee and oh, downward dog. When am I gonna get to the grocery store? I mean, right. those opportunities are there. Right, because it can really easily get boring if you don't remember to infuse it with the meaning that's there which is like oh this is actually the first time I've ever done this mm-hmm. like because this morning I've never been me on this day on at this time in this body that is changing every day so yeah and that's what the whole practice is about is that coming up against the same form to learn about how you're changing in relationship to it and also just because like that's life like my alarm is going to go off at the same time every day and I'm going to go downstairs and make my tea my same tea with my same mug can I be right there can I can I be right there with it mm-hmm. or you know I, I I don't know why I'm just just remembering this Ani DeFranco lyric <laughs> from she's got a lot of wisdom oh my gosh like I can't remember Anything other than like um, the butter melting and the toast was the butter melting out of habit and the toast wasn't even warm. I can't remember. Oh, this is very much like a song that I sang a lot of when I was <laughs> much younger. And but like that, like that is the work, like showing up to our lives. Like downward dog is one thing, mm-hmm. but like being right there with our kids. The 50th time they ask us about like what's that or what's that and showing up as if it were the first yeah and learning to break habit and that's totally like that becomes more it's like I love also how like teaching I just start to realize what's fascinating to me over time and I'm like I could really just spend an hour like being like oh my god look at all the habits we're still operating from this is more than a lifetime's worth of work you're not mm-hmm. gonna ever get to a point where you're it's boring and there's nothing left to do because mm-hmm. those habits are a huge part of how we survive and are, we'll always be collaborating with our survival <laughs> mechanisms yeah and being like oh okay I realize now like it's like when I teach meditation which is another thing I was never really trained to teach but have sort of just had had opportunities to teach and so I learn a lot from the experience of starting to teach it and now I have a regular meditation class and um and a lot of it is like you know your your brain is a beautiful amazing thing 
And it's so great that it has these habits. It's so great that it's always like, wait, did you remember this? Oh, uh, you know, like, are you planning ahead? Are you aware of what's going on over here? Like, are, you know, it wants to keep you safe. It wants to keep you on track. Like, I'm super grateful that, that my brain is doing that for me. Mm -hmm. and <laughs> that it's processing and analyzing, like that is awesome. And I think too much in this world, we get, it gets a bad rap, like, oh, all this analytical thinking, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, no, it's great that we can do all these things with our brain. And so now it's like, but what else can we do? There's so many things we can do, including not being a slave to it. Mm -hmm. And so just like appreciatively realizing that you're <laughs> thinking in a certain way and yeah. then for now for 10 minutes or whatever just committing to like mm -hmm. noticing it rather than identifying with it mm. it's huge just to break the habit just to be like i'm not thinking out of habit now i'm now i'm more clear mm -hmm. that is it's it's major I like resurrecting all these words I used to say. Major. <laughs> yeah. Major. I'm Franco. <laughs> oh. So what is your, like your timeline for the conservatory? Well, my original timeline was that we were going to launch like maybe in June and then I found out that I'm having a baby um, probably on July 1st, so mm. around thereabouts. And then I was like, oh man, <laughs> how am I going to pull this off? Because it's going to be a lot of work to prepare for and then it's going to be a lot of work to teach. And I would really like to make it a longer program. I would really like to make it at least a year. Um, which partly for my own life, for that to make any sense to be like, okay, cool. I can, I can manage that if I'm meeting with people a couple times a month mm -hmm. rather than having to clear out an entire month or two of just intense commitment. Um, so I'm not sure though, cause I've heard so much feedback so far of how that's really tricky to get people to sign up for. Although I have to imagine there are people out there who are interested in a more serious relationship and, mm -hmm. Um, so I'm not sure yet. Um, and then, so now I'm thinking maybe what I'll do is try to start enrollment in the middle of the year and then maybe the program itself will start later in the year. But again, I'm a little bit afraid to even commit to that because with a baby, you just don't know what it's going to be like. Like, will this be a baby that I can bring everywhere with me and will be really easy to leave with people if I want to go back to work really quickly or... Will it be a situation where I'm just completely consumed by having a newborn and can't think about anything else for six months to a year? And so I'm a little, right now I'm trying to navigate that and it's possible that I will just spend this entire year planning, mm -hmm. um, which I easily could, and then uh, launch like right at the beginning of 2016 or something yeah. like that. Those babies, they teach us how to be adaptable and fluid. <laughs> when I became a teacher, when I did my teacher training, it was a longer program. Um, and the two main teachers were a husband and wife, and they had a, a, a baby. Like, I think she was maybe three months old when we started. Wow. And the wife was in charge of pretty much teaching 
shapes and, you know, the art of teaching and um, philosophy. And the husband was in charge of teaching anatomy and meditation. He was a physical therapist. Um, Mm -hmm. And they just sort of like handed off their child. But it was, and it was a first baby for them. which I think also makes a difference. Like you right now, even know since you have a son already, you know sort of like the thing, how it could, just the things that you know when you already have a child. And yeah, um, I have, I know that that depending on who the child is, you could be one of those people that shows back up at the office three months later with the baby in your arms, like I'm ready mm-hmm. to teach, or you could be in for a harder ride and I had that fantasy um well now I see it as a fantasy I saw people out in the world with little tiny babies and I was like okay yeah this is totally doable like Mm -hmm. I'll go back to teaching after five or six weeks I'll try to bring my baby with me here whatever he'll just sleep um wherever right and I saw people doing that so I thought I could do it too but um Mm -hmm. you know I just didn't end up with uh, someone who slept very easily and he it was impossible to get him to take a nap, even when he was a tiny baby, where they promise you that they sleep all day. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. You can't go in knowing what this is going to be like, even mm-hmm. having had the experience. I'm like hoping for an easy time, mm-hmm. but I know that I really pushed it. I'm, I try to do too many things, and I, the last two and a half years has been a long process of letting go of all the things I can't do and just being like, I can't. Yep, I can't do them all now anymore. <laughs> and I thought I could, and I fought so hard to keep doing all the things. And, like, it almost kind of destroyed my marriage because I was just, like, you know, ignoring the fact that every time I left, my husband was in crisis with a tiny newborn. Mm-hmm. Or that, you know what I mean? Like, I just mm-hmm. had to finally turn around and be like, I can't. Like, I'm not making theater right now, which is part of, like, my longing to bring it into my yoga world. Mm-hmm. Um because I, the process of making theater is really intense and time-consuming, and was not being supported anymore at home because it was like, nope, we need you here. Yeah. So, yeah, and so there's that, yeah, there's that um, unpredictability, and like I love hearing those stories because I'm like, yes, I'm totally gonna be that yoga teacher who shows up and the baby will just be there and we'll just make it happen, and like that totally could happen, you know, but mm-hmm. we'll just that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just have to. I and there, I you know, one of them took the. I she seemed pretty chill, but they were still first time parents, and there's that energy also around it. It was very, it was interesting to be in that space as a person. I mean, that was many years before I became a mom too and do you remember did you have any judgment at the time of like oh you shouldn't have your baby here or this is unprofessional or were you really oh no not at all not at all um and also it was really interesting um to as just to as as a person who was hoping to be a mom someday to see the struggles that other women go through, particularly, you know, like in the yoga world, like, oh, getting this, you know, the yoga body back, I'm doing air quotes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like all of that to, and sort of observe this person who, you know, for my, where I was sitting, I was like, wow, 
you know, she's amazing. And she was very much stressing about like not being back to where she thought she should be at a certain time. And being in that space as a student was so helpful. Um, for my my learning as a as a teacher and my my learning as a future mom too, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, how interesting. I know it's like I'm glad that I don't teach. I think I would feel a lot more pressure if I was say like a power vinyasa teacher. Um, from you know my pregnancy totally changed my practice, and then I was recovering from childbirth, and that takes a lot longer than we culturally acknowledge so mm-hmm. we're like oh six weeks you're good stamp of approval and it's like no <laughs> like probably for a lot of women it will be a year if that before you have lost mm-hmm. all of your pregnancy weight and you know you may have other reasons why you need to be cautious around mm-hmm. like you know the way that you're rehabilitating yourself and mm-hmm. um there just shouldn't be that pressure and I think that and so I couldn't do a lot of the things that I had formerly done through my pregnancy and then also through the year after. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently, like, I feel like my practice was just starting to be like, cool, I'm mm-hmm. kind of getting back into some things. And then mm-hmm. now I'm pregnant again and um, limited, you know. But luckily, I don't teach a style of yoga where I'm required to be demonstrating, like, arm balances and inversions and complicated transitions all day long. Because that would be very tricky. Like, I can still teach now because I can be like, well, there's, like, a couple of things I can't do today, and you guys will (laughs) figure Mm -hmm. it out. Yeah. And we'll... I actually signed up to do my second ever yoga retreat um, in April. And when I signed up for it, I knew I was pregnant, and so did the woman who signed me up. And she was like, are you going to be able to do this? Like, you'll be, like, seven months pregnant. And I was like, well... I have, you know, do you know Nikki Weaver? I don't know. She's a yoga teacher in town, and she's a friend of mine. We we have a lot of intersection because she's a theater company mm-hmm. and also is a yoga mm-hmm. teacher. And also our, our children were born within five days of each other, August mm-hmm. and her daughter, Marga. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and one of our yoga students made a short film about us when we were pregnant, like really pregnant, like I was due in two days, and she wanted to film us and talk to us about how yoga had affected our pregnancy and then also she interviewed us afterward to find out how it had affected like our experience of labor mm-hmm. and um but it's interesting because Nikki's a power vinyasa teacher a very very fit person you know run she was running like five miles and practicing power vinyasa the day she like went into labor so mm-hmm. she's <laughs> you know um different physical experience than I had but I saw her leading yoga retreats all through her pregnancy and then when she had her babies she didn't really slow down you know she was just doing it and I do appreciate a lot having those models in the world as much as it's you know important to not hold yourself to the way other people live their lives and not say oh well she does it so I should be able to Mm -hmm. it's also nice to know like have because otherwise if this person said to me are you going to be able to teach a yoga retreat when you're seven months pregnant I might have said I don't know maybe not but I Instead, I said, well, I have a friend who was teaching yoga retreats <laughs> up through her whole entire yeah. pregnancy and with, like, a brand-new newborn with her, and why not, you know? Mm-hmm. Where is it going to be? 
Oh, it's in um, Sisters again. Oh, it's the uh-huh. same place my first one was at, um, at the Five Pine Lodge. Mm-hmm. And they would like to do kind of a regular thing. So Oh, that's great. Yeah, so I'm, and I'm sort of the first teacher that they're experimenting with offering retreats with, and it's my mm-hmm. first time doing retreats, and so we're kind of navigating together, like, what yeah. that means, and... Oh, that'll be good. Yeah. yeah. Seven months. You're rocking that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just about like, and I know how to teach without having to constantly demonstrate and that's a big part of it. Yeah. Like, Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Like if nobody in this room can do this thing without me demonstrating it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and if somebody can do it, then they can demonstrate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, did you want to, did you want to talk about the childcare thing a little bit? I did. Yes. So tell, tell me, tell me about childcare at Yoga Refuge. <laughs> well, so I don't know yet. It's an ex- another experiment, right? Um, there's definitely yoga studios in the world that offer childcare. Um, but ours will be, the space is a little tricky because we have a big studio and then in the same basically room as the studio we have an office that has its own wall and its own door mm-hmm. and so my theory is that that room is going to be our child care and so I've been working like I met with a soundproofing person to talk about like what can we do will this work um, so I really have my fingers crossed that it's going to fly in terms of not being too disruptive to the class mm-hmm. um, that we'll have kids in that little room and um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I, um, it, part of it is like, maybe just even for me, since I'm going to be like rocking a toddler and a newborn in my life and still trying to run a yoga studio and mm-hmm. teach that it would be nice to have, um, you know, this childcare option, but it's really just, I have met so many moms, especially who, who, can't practice yoga anymore after they have their children um and like I remember meeting those moms before I was a mother like having students be like oh yeah you know I used to do yoga it's been about 10 years because I had kids you're like oh my gosh like Mm -hmm. having kids means you take 10 years away from your yoga practice which I mean there's a lot of things that can fill in the space of a yoga practice but I think Mm -hmm. more what that means is that people are taking it so much time off of self-care and mm-hmm. um and yeah that time to connect with themselves um I started teaching mama baby yoga after I had August because I went back to teaching right away and I was like well can I what can I do where I could bring him with me and that would be socially acceptable yes <laughs> and so mama baby classes were the answer for me for a while and then doing that I also got um really intimate with like what women are going through when they're it, you know, on that journey and, um, they're feeling insecure about their bodies. They're feeling that pressure to get, you know, to lose the weight or to be back in shape, but they also have no time to do it because they have little babies and little kids and a lot of them have jobs too, and they're not getting adequate support from the world. (laughs) And so, and that's most people's story. That's not like Mm -hmm. unusual. Absolutely. (laughs) And so I think this is just one small way that I can try to support the community that I that really needs support and is not getting it which is parents of young children um and I hope it will be useful I don't know yet because 
it remains to be seen mm-hmm. how much people, I mean, part of it is like the money thing is challenging because I would love to be able to offer it for free because that's a huge obstacle to be able to have to pay for mm-hmm. yoga on top of having to pay for childcare to go to yoga. Right. Um, this will be cheaper than hiring a babysitter, like, you know, but it'll still have to cost some money to mm-hmm. make it run. So kind of navigating that and then having maybe some work trade options for people that can't pay any money for it, but still want to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we'll see. It's a new venture. Mm-hmm. I love it. I also, I mean, the yoga play date that you offer is, I feel like that is so necessary hmm. to be, because I used to teach a, a mama baby class too, and I even like kind of stretch that out longer than you're supposed to. Yeah, me because, too. Because... <laughs> You know, to where, like, I and I remember um, I subbed for a couple of different people around town their baby mama classes, and I wasn't allowed to bring my child because she was crawling or, you know, doing things, and where I thought, oh, well, shoot. And so, like, that, the play date, like, really, I think, it just lends itself to yoga being integrated into our lives and here we are we're hanging out we're practicing children are being children Mm -hmm. which we all were at one point yeah i love to like when people are bitching about kids in the world i'm like dude Uh you were one (laughs) like yeah you know like kids just there as part of it and sometimes they'll be loud and that's fine and sometimes like people are like and they're getting exposed to practice. I feel like that's really, it's really important. Totally. I think I agree with you completely. And that's why I started offering yoga play date. Cause I was obviously was outgrowing the mama baby classes. Mm-hmm. There was a day where I was offering mama baby at the people's yoga in Northeast. And he had escaped. He was crawling still, but he had escaped through the little sliding doors, mm-hmm. which he could easily open. He had crawled into the hallway. I swear it was only for a second, but mm-hmm. I come out there He's like found the water cooler. Oh yeah, the water. There's water cooler. everywhere, uh-huh. and then he's found the hand sanitizer, oh. which he has put to some degree in his mouth, and I don't know to what degree. And I was just like, you know what? This is the last day I can do this. I cannot be like bringing him to this class anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still struggle because I bring him to the yoga play date a lot, and um, he's a pretty good kid. He's pretty easy to hang out with. But if there's a day when there's a a kid who's challenging for him, like someone who shows up who he hasn't played with before. Maybe there's some territorial issues around mm-hmm. the same toy or something. Like I don't have the space as a, to be teaching the class and to be managing right. that yeah, very well. Mm-hmm. And so the class has become, it's a little stressful for me and I'm trying to decide what direction to go with it. Like it, does that mean it's time for me to hand it off to some other teacher or does that mean it's time for August to not come with me? Or what? Or, or maybe I'm, I'm talking about maybe getting an assistant like from the childcare oh, yeah. space to just be in a space with me to help manage the kids yeah. while I teach the class. And August can still be there, but um, there'll mm-hmm. be another adult who's in charge too. But I basically, I'm always experimenting with like, what is this class? Because it is filling a weird niche of like, there's classes for kids out there. And then mm-hmm. there's there's like these mommy and me type classes that are really more for like the child to be going through a structured routine 
and this class is exactly what you described. It's like, no, this is about us practicing a, a different cultural way of being around children and being around yoga, mm-hmm. where yoga doesn't have to be um, in this pristine environment of like peaceful quiet, and children don't have to be managed every second. Like they can mm-hmm. free play. We can do yoga. It's not going to be this the same. Um, I don't have as much control over the space. I have like almost no control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'll teach things and just be like, I hope that half of this is being absorbed. Mm-hmm. And that's tricky for me because the more I learn, like the more I go into like my yoga therapy program, the more I want to be bringing like really precise details yeah. of how to practice. And I find with that class, I can't teach the way I like to teach. And so yeah. that frustrates me. And I try, and that's, I'm coming up against that. Like, how do I? Mm-hmm. How do I just be like, you know what, they got to do a warrior too, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, maybe they didn't learn that much about how to improve their practice. And that's why like, I'm hoping that childcare will be a compliment to that, where it'll say, I'm glad you're coming to this class, and also I really hope you come to one of the other classes and put your kid in the childcare space, mm-hmm. because then they can still have fun and play and be part of your routine of going to yoga, but then yeah. you can have a more um, right. alone practice time. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think it's, it's so good because it's also like that, that class itself is like also about being in community with other moms and, or whatever caregiver. It is mostly moms, but it Mm -hmm. is, yeah, you're totally right. It's a community thing and it's, and actually August, who's been coming with me since he was a baby off and on to these yoga classes, he's never overtly picked up a lot of the poses, but, um, one of the things I discovered, I don't normally do any chanting in my classes. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't even normally chant OM just because, um, this will probably come out in my like vocal training that I will hopefully merge with the yoga world where Mm -hmm. I feel like there's some other things sometimes people have to do to feel comfortable using their voice that oftentimes just being like, okay, now chant, like they're still not there yet. And so I'm not always comfortable throwing people into that position, but with this class, We've learned that if we chant Om, mm-hmm. uh, amazing quiet comes about the room, and all the kids are just like, "Oh!" and like that they really feel something in that moment from the from the sound mm-hmm. that they don't get from us practicing just yoga poses. And so August now will always chant Om with us, like his little voice is like in their oh. mix every time, and. It's so sweet to hear. So it's encouraging because I'm learning like, okay, what are the things that merge the adult child world in the realm of yoga? Like (laughs) what are the things that we can authentically share together without it being some Mm -hmm. kids yoga, adult yoga. And it's just like, we're here in this yoga space together. Mm -hmm. Mm. Una loves to chant. Mm. And she'll just bust out some like... Om tare tu tare ture swaha. And I'm like, wait, you were listening. Wow. <laughs> it's funny. But, and all like really primal. I mean, I think that's um, the thing with the sounds is if we sort of like go back and go back and go back to like these seeds and just let there be sound and let it be like an expression of the breath. Like they're so... Like, it does do something to the environment. Hmm. And I, the kids pick up on that. And We should have you guys come in as, like... I, what I want to start doing this year is, like, having guest teachers 
So, like, you could come in with your harmonium and be like, okay, so today we're going to learn some chants together, and then maybe the kids will get a little bit excited about that part. And then I'm going to hopefully have, like, an actual kids yoga teacher. Because I met a great kids yoga teacher the other day who is like, oh, yeah, I teach yoga to two-year-olds. And I was like, how do you do that? (laughs) Like, how do you get two-year-olds in a group? I know they can do it. I'm just not, it's not my specialty. Yeah. And I marvel at, like, the preschool where my son goes that, you walk in there and they're doing things totally together and cooperatively. I'm just like, how did you do this? Cause like <laughs> to mm-hmm. me, it seems so daunting <laughs> and I can't even get them. We tried to, I've tried to get the kids to do the yoga poses, but it's like, they need to see another kid doing it before mm-hmm. they get it. So yeah. August saw another kid, um, on yoga glow. We were watching like a Noah Maze with, he oh, did, he did, he did one kids. class where uh-huh. he brought his daughter and they just did a couple poses. They did like tree pose mm-hmm. and something else. In August, from that moment forward, he could do tree pose. I'd be like, hey, do you want to do tree pose with me? I have to hold his hand because he doesn't yeah. have the balance yet. But um, he, as soon as he saw her doing it, he was like, oh, yeah, I'll do yeah. that. I was like, okay. So I'm hoping maybe we'll start to integrate a little bit more with like bringing in guest teachers who can help the kids learn some stuff. And then we might start to find things that they grow familiar with um, mm-hmm. over time. If the class goes on long enough, it might... <laughs> I had to fire Una for a while, like, and that sounds harsh, but, like, for a while when I taught that, I was like, oh, she has to, like, she's interested in other things, and I need to, like, provide a space for her to go while I teach this class, but now when she comes back, now, like, she does yoga when when I teach those classes, Mm -hmm. and she's, you know, she'll be here for a while, and then she'll go over there and smurf around and then come back. Do you do a lot of home practice with her around like yeah. how do you manage that she so always um since she was born I've had her at least you know in the beginning like I, I didn't go back to work until she was 13 months old so in that time like she was always right there with me when I was practicing and it was that was a huge education for me because I thought I was going to be able to practice And, like, when you have a baby who's crying, like, they're, you know, like, it was totally relearning a practice. And then for a while, they're, you know, I, now it's a lot of, like, she'll do poses with me, but a lot of times she'll just want to climb on me while I'm doing it. And Mm -hmm. so it's... So you just kind of play a little bit with her. Absolutely. And, like, how much time do you spend in your practicing with her around versus I'm going to only practice with myself now? Well, so now that she's in, she goes to school all day, Tuesday through Fridays. Cool. And so there's usually just a couple of days a week now where I haven't, like, done a home practice while she's somewhere else. Um, but then also if I'm just like riffing some things, trying to figure out like, oh, I might teach this tomorrow. I'll just have her there with me. But at least like two or three times a week, she, we do yoga together for 20, 30 minutes. Sometimes like now that she, you know, she'll be four in a month. And so Mm. she'll be with me for a while and then she'll be like, I'm bored of this and go to a different room and then Mm -hmm. come back. But I look forward to that phase because we're still at the phase where um if it's I'm bored of this then it's like you need to shift gears with me and I can't and that that's why I don't practice at home with August much at all because it's really frustrating to me and 
I can't get in my zone at all. And I, and it, you know, we'll maybe go into like hang out with the yoga stuff and then he wants to just climb all over it. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we'll go hang out in there a little bit. I might get like a couple of poses in mm-hmm. or a couple of stretches in, but it never feels like I enter into my yoga mm-hmm. world and my yoga zone. <laughs> Um, but I do think, yeah, when he gets to that age where if he wants to leave, he can leave on his own and yeah. walk into the toy area. I look forward to that. Although sometimes I wonder if I just need to be like making that happen, you know, like mm-hmm. getting him more used to it. And yeah. Like, you know, this is what we do. And I do this every day at this time and yeah. you deal with it. <laughs> Another thing that she, Una responds to is like, if I'm in a pose, I'll ask her to give me adjustments. Mm. And she really likes doing that. Like if I'm in um, a cow-faced pose or like if I'm in something like that, I'll ask her to like lay back over my back or something Mm -hmm. like that or like push here. And if I give, she likes to be a helper. So if I give her a job, then she helps me. Yeah, (laughs) that's so cool. I noticed that there's a lot of intuitive adjusting that the kids do in the yoga play date that... We sort of joke about it, like, oh, you're getting an adjustment, but it's kind of mm-hmm. true. Like, if the if mom's in child's pose and they go oh, climb yeah. on her back, it's like, that's awesome. That's, that's great. <laughs> you know, and if they can, yeah, if you can teach them to to do, yeah. be just in the right spot. And I really wonder how how it's going to affect them. I know there was some, there are some people who grew up with yoga that I've met, but it's not as, com- it wasn't as common in our generation for our parents mm-hmm. to do yoga but now it's very common, so there's a lot of people who are doing yoga at home with their kids around, and I'm really curious to see how our kids um, absorb yoga, like what they think about it. Because when I was growing up, it was really mm-hmm. thought of as a very weird hippie thing to do. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, if your parents did yoga, you had hippie parents. But <laughs> yeah, now it's like, oh. Probably most people's parents are doing yoga, a lot of people's parents are. Well, and just that uh, practice of contemplation and self-care, I think is, no matter what it is, I mean, whether it's yoga or Tai Chi or your sitting practice or your singing, or like if you sit down and play piano for half an hour or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, like... I feel like the habit of practice is going to be so beneficial to our kids, no matter what, it doesn't matter what it is, Mm -hmm. Um, but that is huge because, you know, I mean, for me, like one of the things in our era, at least, like, oh, you have to be the best. You have to, you know, on your first try, you have to be, if you're, if you're not a natural at something, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm a visual, what my, one of my other things that I do in my life is I'm a visual artist and I was discouraged for so long from doing that because on like the first day of fifth of of kindergarten or wherever when you draw something like it's not it was not a perfect rendering of the still life or whatever right you know and like anyone who does anything whether it's drawing or playing football knows that like 
practice is what matters. Completely. I completely like, agree yeah. with you. I know. And it's funny when people bring that attitude to yoga because, I mean, I in the art world, the attitude is still much more commonly held. Like, you either got it or you don't. You've got this natural <laughs> talent that you then cultivate or you're just a talentless person who, and I don't, I don't really agree with that um, at all. Like I think it's all in the training, but mm-hmm. I mean, I can understand where the perspective comes from in the art world because there are people who just kind of come out of the gates, like having sure. huge vision or huge creativity or having some really strong inclination or a beautiful singing voice that they never trained, you know, Absolutely. and that totally happens. But, but when it comes to like yoga, I'll have people who come to their first yoga class and like, oh yeah, I'm really bad at yoga. I was like, okay, well, first of all, the first thing you should learn is that you can't be bad at yoga mm-hmm. and you can't be good at yoga because it's, that's a paradigm we're not even really working in, <laughs> in my understanding of mm-hmm. yoga. Um, and like, if you are, if what you mean is I get into tree pose and I'm wobbly and I fall out of it versus standing perfectly still like a statue, well, what we're doing here is practicing our balance and balance is a process is what I always tell people it's like Mm -hmm. and I make the mistake all the time in my life of thinking that balance is a destination I'm going to arrive at and then I have to remember (laughs) oh no you never get there like every single moment of every single day for my entire life balance will be a process Mm -hmm. and something that I'm practicing and that in moments it might feel like yes I nailed it for a second and then (laughs) then I fell on my face and so I'm just like, that is what balance is. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to talk about having a good downward facing dog or a bad downward facing dog, it's just like not a relevant conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we did this. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you so much for having me. Thank you for coming. Oh. Mm.